Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Jungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, we are here today with Mr. Larry Clark. I call you, what should I call you? Larry. Larry? All right, Larry's so we're here fun. with Larry. Uh, Larry, uh, I've been blessed uh, to have known Larry. He's one of the men that helped raise me when I was a kid in lacrosse. Um, <laughs> always hanging out. I loved hanging out in his office, folding bulletins and doing all the things that we need to do around the, the church and the congregation. So uh, he, he's been around me for a long time. I've been around him for a long time. I uh, love, love every moment when I get to spend with him. Uh, but I want to introduce you guys to Larry. Uh, Larry, why don't you go ahead and talk about yourself a little bit. Um, what's your story? Uh, my name is Larry Clark. I, actually, I was born Lawrence. Uh, I, all, I like to tell people that I was supposed to have been George after my grandfather. But the month before my mother gave birth to me, uh, she had read Lawrence of Arabia. So thus, it's Lawrence. But everybody calls me Larry or they call me Clarky. When I was a police officer for 30 years, <clears throat> I got called a lot of things. <laughs> and my family was traced back to farm animals. But, uh, yeah, live in Wisconsin now. Grew up in New York and love it. Just love it out here. Uh, so where, where do you live? In La Crosse. <laughs> up in the bluff. So we're, we're, <laughs> so we're sitting out here right now, and you look out the windows, you can see. Uh, just bluffs and, and, and beauty all over the place. It's kind of like a valley down below, a big, beautiful garden and a creek running through it. Yeah, we live about six miles east of La Crosse, um, 20 acres of land out in a rural setting, a uh, three-bedroom ranch and a uh, dog and a cat. And on a good summer day, five grandchildren running around making noise, and I'm loving every bit of it. Awesome. How, how long have you guys lived out here? We built this house in 1972, so that's been... Uh, not quite 50 years. Wow. Why, why out here? I grew up on a farm in upstate New York. And the land that uh, Marty and I bought to build our house, we bought from her dad. The, his house is no longer there. But uh, we lived probably about 500 feet away from them. And it's, it's rural. It's, it's beautiful out here. And on the other side of the road, the hill is so steep that nobody could build. So all the buildings on one side of the road, no neighbors, <laughs> very just, few neighbors. Just the way you like it, huh? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. I, I, I remember coming out here as a kid, and we had that, you, well, I guess you had that big garden out past the barn. Yep. And yep. Uh, my dad had that big uh, vegetable patch out there. I remember playing in the, well, playing with the dogs, yep. Copper and Zorro. Yep. And uh, Zorro, I still think Zorro is the biggest dog I've ever seen. Oh, he was I huge. know I was, I was a little guy at the time, but that was a big dog. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but playing in a creek while dad was working and pulling weeds and uh, coming to get lemonade from Mrs. Clark up here at the house. Oh, and, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you got a, so down in the barn, you got, you got a barn full of wood. You cut a lot of wood? I do. I do. We have a fireplace 
downstairs in the family room. And during the summer, I will, I will cut and split. And I try to let it dry for two years. And then during the winter, I don't heat my house with it, but I'll have a, a fire going downstairs just to keep warm. And Marty will knit, and I'll watch TV, or I'll do something on a computer. And then there's popcorn every now and then. It's, it's very comfortable down there. You watch the back games down there, too? Absolutely. Is there still a hole in the ceiling? Uh, no, that's <laughs> been repaired. <laughs> I didn't think you remembered that anymore. Oh, I remember. I remember. <laughs> Six stitches. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> did they win? They did. They did. We were watching. Uh, one part of the ceiling was just a little bit lower because all the deducting went through that. I can't remember the player's name, but and I can't even remember who we were playing, but they intercepted a pass on the the Packers intercepted a pass on the 50-yard line, and he ran it back for a touchdown. And I jumped up off the sofa, stuck my hands up in the air, threw the suspended ceiling, hit one of the right <laughs> angles, and I cut my hand open. And I just I Marty grabbed a towel for me, and we I put that on there, and I said, well, I think you need to take me in and she looked at me and she says it's only in the second quarter <laughs> <laughs> but she did five five or six stitches i can't remember but when I, you go to the receptionist and you tell them how the accident happened <laughs> and you get this absolutely incredulous look from them and then they just peel off into labs uh, laughter and then, rather than register me, they're going out into the hallway and they're saying, hey, come on in. Listen to how this guy cut his hand. <laughs> Listen to this guy. How so, doctor sewed it up, went home. Ten days later, I go in to have the stitches removed. It's the same receptionists. <laughs> and it was a repeat of the night that I'd gone in. It was hilarious. I've only ever heard one story I think that beats that. My current roommate right now, the first time that the Badges went to the Final Four for basketball, sure, sure. He, was, he lived in a second-story apartment, and he got so excited when the Badges won the game that he jumped up and was like going to run down the stairs to go like out in the street and celebrate. Yep. <laughs> he tripped and fell out of the stairs and broke his leg. No, <laughs> So he will always remember the day the Badgers <laughs> made the Final Four. <laughs> All right, uh, but you, you're talking about growing up in upstate New York. You want to talk about that a little bit? It's the Finger Lakes region. It's very picturesque, uh, very similar to this area of Wisconsin, rolling hills, farms. At the time, this was back in the 50s, uh, at the time there, were, there was more agriculture. Now it's, it's a lot of uh, vineyards, and the wine industry is very popular back in this area. But... Went to high school, summers were spent on the back of a hay wagon, baling hay or, or doing things around the farm. I did, have, I did have one week off during the summer, and that was to go to Boy Scout camp. But other than that, we just, if it was a nice day, we were working. If it was a crummy day, we were cleaning out the chicken coop or, <laughs> or whatever. But we lived on a, um, about a 70-acre farm. Uh, we didn't have cows. I I was involved with cows for our neighbor. I would go up and help him uh, milk during the summer. It was fun. Had a good time. Uh, that's the part of the world that uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, that farmer boy, that's, that's where he's from, isn't it? Finger Lakes area? I don't uh, remember. It was... Uh, 
It's somewhere in, in upstate New York, somewhere. Whitman, the poet Whitman, uh, was from there. He was from he. He grew up, oh, about thirty miles from where I lived, and in school, our school was named Marcus Whitman. Uh, we read a lot of his works, but uh, everybody pretty much was uh, farm related. There were a few from the city. And then in my junior and senior year, I transferred to Geneva High, which was city. And I was the farm boy. But uh, school was good. I remember when I graduated in 1963, I walked out of that auditorium with a, a smile. <laughs> and I was the only one because I didn't have to go to school anymore. I was done with school. No more, no more. Well, in the following years, there has been... Uh, schooling for a hospital corpsman. I got my bachelor's degree. I got my master's degree. I got my uh, synod certification and staff ministry. So the idea of never having to go to school again, well, that was just a <laughs> wisp of wind going by. <laughs> uh, so you talk about being a hospital corpsman. What, uh, so you spent some time in the Navy? I did. I spent four years active and eight reserve in the Navy. When I graduated from high school, my goal was to follow my brother. My brother went into the Air Force, and I went into the Navy, and I had worked as an orderly at the hospital for one summer and thoroughly enjoyed that, so I wanted to go in to become a hospital corpsman. And after training, I was given the option of where I wanted to go, so I put in a request to go with the uh, Marine Corps, be a, uh, a medic with the Marine Corps, and they sent me to New York City, 300 miles away from home. Join the Navy and see the world. But uh, at the Naval Hospital in New York City, this was during Vietnam, uh, we were busy. We were very busy. And uh, I, worked, I worked my way up to get into intensive care. And in the intensive care unit, <laughs> we were really busy. But a lot of... Uh, met a lot of interesting people, uh, a lot of sadness, a lot of sadness. These 18-year-old kids would come home with bodies riddled with bullets and shrapnel, and, and uh, not all of them walked out of there. I sadly was, had to put quite a few in body bags and put a flag over them. Yeah. Is that where you wanted to be? I wanted to be a corpsman. I didn't want to be at New York City. I wanted to be <laughs> in the fields with the Marines. But uh, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And I got off active duty and moved out to Wisconsin because under the GI Bill, I could not afford to go to college in New York. It was okay. very expensive. And so I came out to Wisconsin, and I could afford it on the GI Bill. And so I picked up a part-time job at St. Francis Hospital, now Mayo, as a uh, inhalation therapist, because that was one of, the, one of the specialties I picked up as a corpsman. And I would be in the, the office for inhalation therapy. And then right across the hall was this desk for uh, registering outpatients. And the, uh, the clerk there was very pretty. <laughs> and I thought, well, let's ask her out. And I was promptly turned down. But uh, 
we would uh, we developed a friendship, and we had a we had a pneumatic tube uh, messaging system throughout the hospital. And when I would go up on the ward or up on the floor to give a treatment, I would just send tubes to her station, tube after tube. And every now and then, if there was a fruit tray or something, I'd send her a banana. <laughs> when I would give a treatment up on the uh, the locked ward, uh, every Wednesday night, they had popcorn and a movie. So I'd sit there, and I I watched movies with Napoleon and and George Washington and others. But I would take an, a plastic bag up, and I'd fill it with popcorn, and I'd <laughs> send it down to her in the tube. And, and as things worked out, we we developed a friendship, and and uh, we were married in 1969, which was a real plus. I've never heard that story before. That is an awesome story. <laughs> so, like, d- d- did she want those tubes coming right away? No. Was no. there always something in the tubes? No. No, <laughs> no I just sent them to her, and and then she's got to take the ad. You set the address by by there were a twist thing, a letter and a number combination, and she, you knew where it came from, but you had to twist it to send it back. So it was making more work for her, <laughs> but uh, she never really yelled at me. And then we would have her desk and my desk were kind of across the hall with, to each other, and we would have rubber band fights, <laughs> and we would squirt syringes at each other. And about the time the floor was the messiest, the... Uh, Emergency room nurse would walk by, <laughs> look at Marty, look at me, and just say, well, this needs to be cleaned up. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sister. That's awesome. <laughs> Clearly it worked. <laughs> it Obviously did. it worked. It did. <laughs> okay, so uh, you were working as a, as a respiratory nurse? Respiratory therapist. Respiratory yep. therapist. Okay. Um, so you eventually became a police officer. Yep. So what? Uh, how did that go? My brother um, was a deputy sheriff back home and highly respected, uh, was thorough, was good. Um, just he was. People just respected him. He, he did a great job. And I wanted to be like that. So I applied at the La Crosse Police Department. There was one opening. And I didn't get it. So, yeah, okay, well, I got this job here. And uh, I went home. For what reason? I I went home, uh, back to New York. And while I was home in New York, Marty called me. We weren't married yet. Marty called me and said, uh, the chief of police wants to talk to you. So I called him, and over the phone, a thousand miles away, he offered me a, a position. So I I was able to leave uh, and stay in New York for a few more days with mom and dad. Then I went back to New York, and on November twenty fifth, nineteen sixty eight, I I was sworn in as a a police officer. Then that was the beginning of an adventure. I had a lot of fun <laughs> as a police officer. Awesome. Uh, so then you spent how many years as a police officer? 30 years. 30 years. Yeah, I, I enjoyed police work. And I enjoyed it mostly because I hated doing repetition, repetitious duties. And there's nothing about police work that's repetitious. Um, 
as was uh, being an inhalation therapist or a corpsman. Uh, you could have a very quiet night or you could be up to your elbows and work. And such is the place for, for uh, police work. I, I worked nights for many years, walked a beat downtown for many years, thoroughly enjoyed it. It wasn't, it wasn't all laughs and giggles. There were some, there were some times that it was really miserable and, and I thought about what have I done? <laughs> but uh, I was able to uh, go to school and, uh, and work nights as a police officer. I always had to explain to the professors the early morning classes. I said, I need to stand in the back of the classroom. And they'd look at me and they'd say, why? And I said, well, I work all night. Yeah. And I says, if I sit down, I'm going to be asleep. And the same way in church. When I would go to church, <laughs> Marty would be on one side of me and her mother would be on the other side of me. And they'd, <laughs> they'd poke me during the service if I started to nod off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then when your time with the police uh, department was done, then what did you do? I retired after 30 years of police work to the good life. I was going to golf. I was going to camp. I was going to ride my bike. I was going to do things around the house. And uh, we had a uh, school secretary, school church secretary, in fact, that had a meltdown and had to be let go. So now we have an opening. And uh, <clears throat> our senior pastor at the time, a man you know very well, <laughs> uh, comes up to me one day. I was on the council. And he comes up to me one day and he, he says, you know, we're thinking of replacing the secretary with a staff minister. And I'm going, okay. He says, this is the position. And I, I looked at the position description, and I said, oh, this is very functional. And he said, you know who'd be perfect for this job? <laughs> and I said, mm, no. He put his arm around me. And he said, how about a retiree that's working a plethora of part-time jobs just to keep busy? And he looks at me and smiles. And I said, well, if the congregation calls me, I will honestly prayerfully consider it <laughs> it sounds like my dad <laughs> yeah it was and they they called me so i uh i took the call and it was easter time and marty and i and our daughter had gone out to oregon to visit her sister and at halfway through i had to take our daughter down to san francisco to let her fly back to wisconsin for uh schooling and I've, I spent the night with a really good friend from high school, her and her husband, who both of them had six-digit salaries <laughs> and lived on the Pacific Ocean. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that morning, uh, Candy and I are walking the beach. And, and you know, having been in a sailor and a, a reservist, having been at sea, the ocean is very spiritual for me. And this morning, there's, there's some pretty good waves coming in. And I, I thought, you know, Lord, you're here. I know it. What do you want me to do? Direct me. Nothing. So on the way back, I'm driving north on I-5. And you're driving through some beautiful mountains up around Mount Shasta. And I, I just, again, Lord, you're here. <laughs> 
you know, what do you want me to do? Nothing. Two nights later, in the middle of the night, it was quiet. And, and I woke up because somebody had called my name. And, and it was, take the call. So in, the, in the, a still, small voice in the middle of the night, uh, directed me in the way that I should go. And I began my, my studies as a uh, staff minister up at New Ulm and some satellite places. And the thing that was so wonderful was that I had grown up Presbyterian in upstate mm -hmm. New York. And I had become Lutheran uh, when I met Marty. And I, I love the Lutheran doctrine. I really do. Especially uh, we get away from work righteousness. Especially we get away from work righteousness. And, and the whole communion. I mean, I can picture the way that we celebrate communion being the way that it was meant to be. Yeah. You know, where Presbyterians say, well, this just represents, and, and the Catholics have theirs, and then there's yeah. others that don't have it at all. And I, I, okay, this is my body. This is my blood. That really, really meant a lot to me. So I joined the Lutheran Church, and then when I got called as a staff minister, I'd, for five years, one class a semester, uh, to really dig into my, my faith, my worship, uh, and certainly not to the extent that a pastor does it. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was incredible, and I, I loved it. I just absolutely loved it. And I loved my duties because my office was in the school portion. Yeah. Yep. And I would be stuffing envelopes in the pigeonholes or whatever, and the first graders would come up from downstairs, and they'd see me. The, the floor was linoleum. They would see me in the chair. And... They'd grab the chair and they'd run me to the other end of the hallway <laughs> and they'd run me back. And, and uh, the uh, teacher would say, now, Mr. Clark has, has work to do. You need to. <laughs> you need, and then, well, but we haven't had a turn. And I'd, I was off and running again. Uh, the counter in the office was about three inches taller than your average first or second grader. And the office door would open and close. <laughs> and there was nothing. And then pretty soon you heard, Mr. Clark, <laughs> it's my birthday. Would you like a cupcake? Uh, it's one of the best parts of being a teacher. Yeah, too. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Mr. Clark does not say no to food. <laughs> but uh, that, was, that was great. But I had, I, I tease about this, and, and it made one elderly woman from the congregation upset that I would brag about this, but... When, uh, when Marty and I were dating, I would go to church with her. I was Presbyterian. I'd go to my Presbyterian church, but not as frequently as I went to the Lutheran church. And I'd gone to Mount Calvary for about three times, and then after, one day after church, I was told that there was going to be a potluck dinner. Oh, my gosh. College kid? Well, no, I was on the police department at the time. But... A bachelor living home alone, and you walk into the school gym, and here's this cornucopia of <laughs> homemade food. And I made the comment. I went and I says, you know, 
Presbyterians don't do this. <laughs> they have chicken cues. And and here is just oh my gosh, five dinner tables full of stuff. Yeah. So I asked Pastor Lambert to uh I want let's just investigate this. And I'm not making any commitment. Well, halfway through when he had explained communion and work righteousness and and all of that, I moved by the Holy Spirit. And I said, let's, I want to start taking instruction now. And he just leaned back in his chair and smiled at me. He says, you're half done. So <laughs> he'd, he'd been giving me instruction all the way. And then I joined and, and, uh, you know, I just, you know, what do you, what do you say that shows your true appreciation to the Holy Spirit for leading you this way, except thank you. And that, yeah. that sounds so hollow, but. Well, it comes from the heart, and I've had I've had reason to to thank God many times um, for helping me survive thirty years of of law enforcement. Yeah, is is one of the one of the things. Yeah. If you like what you're hearing from Mr. Larry Clark, make sure you're tuning in again to the Gird Up Podcast. He'll be on again soon to talk about his time as law enforcement and talk about his family and being a dad and and being a grandfather and all the awesome experiences that he's had. Um, If you like what you're hearing from him and you'd like to reach out to him, go ahead and find him on Facebook. He's Larry Clark. He may or may not accept your friend request. You might have to to plead your case, um, but I'm sure if you you convince him, he'll add you on there. So uh, thank you for listening. Make sure you're hitting follow on this podcast on iTunes so you get all the new episodes when they upload. Uh, We're going to change the structure up a little bit, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a future episode. But uh, keep looking for good content coming your way, and go out, become men, become the men that God has created you to be. Thanks for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Time to Gird Up. You can find us on Facebook at The Gird Up Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U N G E M A C H, at gmail.com. Please leave a five star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four- and five-star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our podcast art, and thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one.